0: The Game Schooler podcast, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, is a weekly audio show that highlights the educational value of tabletop gaming. In this week's episode, we'll cover Honey Buzz, our recommended game of the week, discuss board game cafes driving game schooling in the school of gaming, and wrap it up with our high five most anticipated games from Gen Con 2022. welcome to the game schooler podcast I'm your host Doug Kotecki, along with my co-host dr. Michael McCabe how's it going Michael great
1: Doug how are you
0: I am doing pretty good I've got a we got a full disclosure peek back behind the curtain and yeah. I would like to personally apologize for the audio quality of the last several ep- several episodes we've been trying to increase our video production and uh, to have more ways to uh, broaden our appeal and more contact points for people to discover us and find out about us. So we've been experimenting with different microphone combinations. Hopefully, uh, we're back to our standard tried and true that we started the podcast with. Yeah. And you're enjoying higher fidelity audio at this point. Um, So want to point that out right off the gate. And for all intents and purposes,
1: we will not be going back or experimenting with anything else. Ever again. <laughs> well, no, our podcast will have great audio. That's one thing that we have come to both expect when we review our last episodes, and thanks for all that you do to make sure that that happens. So, Yeah, no apology problem. Apology accepted on behalf of all of our listeners, Doug. Okay, thank you. Yes. And if you don't, email us. Let us know. If you don't accept that apology, we we'll be <laughs> yeah, happy to hear it. Just <laughs> email Doug, not me. Um, yeah, we've got a lot to discuss. I think if you're okay with it, I would just like to... Actually, we're not going to start with the thank you. We'll end with the thank you. Okay. Let, let's yeah, let's keep it negative first. No, no. <laughs> I have I have some follow-up from last week's episode, okay. though, if that's all right. Yeah. I think for the first time in a long time, we missed a very obvious skill. Okay. In our our in episode eighty-one, our recommended game of the week was Five Minute Mystery. So welcome to episode eighty-two. You're not tuning into the wrong episode. But we missed out on time management and we define time (laughs) management as a game that improves a player's ability to organize and plan how long they spend on specific activities before (laughs) running out of time and in five minute mystery there's a clock counting down with a trash talking walrus well Well, there yeah i'm not sure how we both missed that but This will save us a future email, because you know some listener. uh, uh, I was noticing in episode 81. (laughs) That is a good call, and I am Uh, embarrassed that neither of us did that. We caught it. We brought it to the table. Wow. And then another thing, also following up from last week, I just want to give credit. Uh, We talked a lot about the game with the game designer and Colin Reed, but to the artist, uh, Cam Kendall, T- we talked a lot about the components, and I mentioned specifically how I felt as if I was brought into the film Who Framed Roger Rabbit, mm-hmm. but I didn't actually call out Kem- Cam Kendall by name, and uh, my family really, really likes the art, and that theme was was brought up a lot. So those are, those are just two follow-up things from me from last week from our recommended segment. All right.
0: One of the things I want to talk about is this week we are talking about our... Uh, most anticipated games from Gen Con, games that are coming out. And I thought it was interesting. I'm not going to go into full detail on it, but I did go back and listen to our episode of the most anticipated games of 2022 that we did at the beginning of this year or the very end of last year. end of last year, yep. And five out of the eight games that we were anticipating, we have not played yet. Yeah. Some of them we have received, um, they
1: gotten to the table, though. But they haven't gotten to the table yeah. yet.
0: So uh, that was kind of, I think it's about 50-50 of ones that were Kickstarters or things that we're still waiting on, yeah. along with a couple of Kickstarters we have gotten but have not had the opportunity to get those to the table yet.
1: Interesting. Are you going to quiz me on those or no? Are we just moving forward?
0: No, I just thought yeah. that, that, and that's something that will You know, As the year draws to a close, I do want to go back and revisit those and actually talk about what we thought and if they lived up to
1: our anticipation and expectations. Well, and in board games, hype is real. I'll say. Hype is not something that is artificial or manufactured. It is real. It is a resource. It gets moved (laughs) around, and it's not just on the water. It is here in this house, in this studio, right? Yeah, well, which is an interesting
0: thing because – we we can talk about some of the games that we played, and one of them is the we played three games last week that are from ten years ago or older. Yeah, and it was so refreshing to realize that those games are classics. They're still good, they were easy to teach. Um, some of the games today seem to have way more rules bloat uh, and complication, and these were just. I got them onto the table, was able to teach them almost from memory. I did do a a gloss over the rules, but it was so, I I don't know if it was the idea of reminding me, yeah, you can still play old games and old games are still awesome. And
1: there's a reason why they're classic.
0: Exactly. That the, the call to the new is not always of utmost importance.
1: That's great. Well, I want to transition a little bit because I know you always do, at least the last few episodes, our shout out to Noble Knight, yep. right? And so we, do you want to do that shout out and then I'll segue into my recent trip to yes, Noble Knight? Yes. Let me segue. Yes. Uh, Noble Knight has a coupon
0: exclusively for our listeners. The code is SCHOOLER, S-C-H-O-O-L-E-R, that you can put in at checkout to get 10% off of your order Uh, And Noble Knight is a great store that has, uh, their prices are lower than retail, uh, straight up MSRP, so you're getting a little bit of a deal there, plus the 10% discount. It's also a great place for um, used near mint games
1: if you want to try something out. Their tagline is, where the out of print is available again. I thought that was kind of cool. All right. So that's Noble Knight, and we actually had uh, an email saying hey, uh, you need to come into the store and pick up a game. And I said, what? And we were both <laughs> like, what's this about? We have a, we, we, Doug and I talk about this often, and it might sound like we're trying to hustle or sell, but we just have wonderful listeners. Mm-hmm. And, and, and we, we thank our listeners that reach out and even you know request games, request that we talk about games. And one of our listeners bought us a game heard that we were talking about welcome to the dungeon and i mentioned that i passed on it because i just had so many actual physical games not in my virtual cart but the last time i was in the store i had to start cutting oh this one's gonna have to go back and so just a big thank you to nick nick went ahead and bought a copy of welcome to the dungeon and so i i went to the store to uh Pick it up, and this is going to be added right to our Game Schooler library. It will always live in our Game Schooler library. You can hear me. Look, it's still in the shrink. I might uh, just have to tag that. I, I I would feel bad writing on it, but saying like "thank you, Nick" or something, so that we know that it's well.
0: There. And that's a it's a near mint copy. Yeah. So rigid. it's uh, you know they wrap it up, make sure everything's in there. So if you want something. Uh, that's gently played with that's definitely the place to get that
1: so th- thank you uh nick we appreciate that yeah that that's awesome and i'll follow up with an email in the next couple of days but i wanted to just give you a shout out here on the pod and then i did also acquire a few games oh that's weird <laughs> oh what i i, have d- a I bit didn't of store credit no you didn't make a trip to noble night so no. i brought my ooh visual aids <laughs> with me the first one, you ready for this? I'm
0: loving this crinkly audio. This was... Oh, there you go. Bang
1: the dice game by request. Look at the price on that, Doug. Five denaro. Five dollars, folks. Thank you, Noble Knight. And oh, I did use the schooler code at checkout. So got that one. And they didn't one. give you any guff? No, I confidently applied the code schooler at checkout. Interesting. I have a coupon code I'd like to apply. Schooler, <laughs> S-C-H-O-O-L-E-R person was very surprised to enter it, and they accepted it. (laughs) Where to go next? Okay, this one has been on my want-to-buy list for a while. In fact, I backed the wrong game on Kickstarter, (laughs) but I ended up with Dinosaur Island. In right. Good little roll in right that I'm looking forward to getting to the table. And then this last one, this will get Doug chuckling. It's from the good Dr. Reiner. Oh, yeah. Equinox. Oh, you, so. didn't wa- you
0: didn't. You didn't want to wait till the Gollum edition came out. Did you hear that they're releasing a Gollum no, edition? No, I
1: didn't. But to me, when I saw the art, and it looked like it was already from that universe. <laughs> no,
0: that's what's uh, comical about it is the the original art looks like it's, it's from, from a fantasy the- Gollum thing, and now there's a separate Gollum edition. Yeah.
1: So the probably good, should have waited. Now the, the I have a little t- bit of buyer's remorse. Thanks for oh, ruining my oh, good oh, time. Oh, do you? I no, yeah, right. No, but you these should are get all both of them. That will get played and reviewed and. We'll hopefully be talking about more as we go. So thank you, Noble Knight. And big thank you to Nick for getting me into the store at Noble Knight. <laughs> is that a thank you or a regretfully I got into the store and bought more stuff? No, this is one of the few times where I've left a game store and been, I cannot believe I got all of that. I mean, yeah. The, the I'm very happy with the prices. I have no no remorse. Even my little comment about Equinox. I'd been wanting to play Equ- Equinox for a while. Just has a nice little Reiner Knetzha auctioning and playing mechanisms worked into it. So
0: yeah, the artwork is amazing on that one, and is certainly an eye catcher. That's for sure. Um, as a follow up to last week's episode, the entirety of the X Men First Class miniatures are painted excellent uh, a post will be going up on those i wanted to follow up on that and lastly michael what have
1: you been playing well i got 80 plays in during the month of july so for me i've only been tracking since april but that was certainly a, a high watermark and so um you now know, i'm gonna have to start keeping stats for myself well i i had a really good closeout to the month i was very successful at happy city so successful my wife did not want to play a third game the cards were <laughs> unkind to her that was episode 55 i recommended game of the week and it continues to get a lot of play uh game right published game that we really enjoy in the mccabe house right now and also played some bridge city poker um a game that i happen to like more than my wife at this point a game i'd like to play with you to review Uh, definitely a card player's card game, though. Hmm. There are power cards that are very, very powerful and also extremely diverse. I mean, there's like 27 or 28 different power cards in that game that really impact how the game is played, but it's a trick-taking game where you're trying to get rid of your cards. Um, And I have a few more, but I'd like to hear from you, Doug. Yeah, one of the old games that we got
0: to the table... Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if you heard us talking about some of these in the, the near future. Uh, but one of them is Kingsburg, which uh, I don't know exactly
1: what year. I'm unprepared. 2007. 2007. Michael's got And then there was a 2011 Fantasy Flight. And then in 2017, it had another printing. Okay. So I've either got the 2007
0: or the 2011. You have the 2007, I believe. And it's gorgeous. Um, the original printing of that. And that was one of the very first dice placement games where you roll dice and then you are assigning those dice to individuals to uh, claim whatever action or or reward from influencing that individual. And it's just a great little game. You only have three dice that you roll. Whoever rolls the lowest amount gets to place their dice first, Uh, but you can place your dice in uh, either all three of them combined and so you can, you know, say you have eight, the, the total of the pips on your dice is eight. You can put it on the advisor that is a number eight, or you could split it apart into a, you know, a two and a four and do a six, and then maybe get a two in there as well. So you can kind of divide it up, but that's dependent on what everybody else has rolled. So, placement order matters. Yeah. So there's that thing of like, well, I can save this one because I know nobody else has a one. So- I'm for sure gonna get that one. Or sometimes you try and you know risk it a little bit, and somebody takes your spot on you or does something no biscuit, (laughs) something that you didn't think was going to happen. Ultimately, you're trying to get resources such as gold, wood, and uh, stone to construct buildings, which then give you additional powers and abilities Mm -hmm. throughout the game. Victory points. Um, And then every round, there's a at the end of every year you. Uh, a new monster comes onto the board and you don't exactly know what his power is going to be and trying to prep for that, there are ways that you can peek at it and there's a lot of variability, but just an awesome game. It it was one of the first games that I ever got and
1: we played it quite a bit when it first came out. So I was uh, glad to get that to the table again. And and Sorry to interrupt you there, but the joy at the table, we played, it was a four-player game and I really... I would have no idea that that game came out 15 years ago or 15 days ago. The game just played great, I I thought. I was very, very impressed with uh, Kingsburg. Well, and I think that goes back
0: to that idea of like there's always that point of innovation and people trying to push it farther and farther and, oh, this is a unique thing and this is a cool thing that I can add to the game or what if I throw this in there and sometimes there's just that simplicity of the the people that did it first, and that basic idea is still solid. Yeah. Um, that I, I think it still holds up really well. And you can't say that for every game, but for that Let's one it does. Kingsburg. Yeah. Yep.
1: And I I want to play it again. I want to run it through our stringent criteria and really see where does this fit in the game schooling setting yeah, I, I think it fits. I just don't know where having only just played it the one time last yep. week. Yep. What else, Doug? I'm I'm sending it back to you. What do you got? Well, we also played Biblios, and that mm-hmm. was my first time playing that game. Both of these games fall into that um, hole for me in my gaming experience from when I started to have children and wasn't really in the hobby. And I was also impressed with Biblios, the – it was cutthroat and mean to a level where it's like, eh, I'm not sure I'd want to play this with everyone in my family, um, just with it, y- you don't see it that way. Uh, I, it, it's competitive. It, it's yeah, com- I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stand by that. There's a little bit of cutthroat with how manipulating the dice, and you can see what people are going after. Yeah, there's two, Points are so scarce in that
0: yeah, game. Yeah, there's two, two phases to the game. The first one is um, everyone's going around the table, and on your turn you are going to draw a number of cards, uh, one at a time. And when you pick that card up, you decide whether you're going to give it to yourself, leave it for the other pe- players around the table to draft. And one of them is going to go into the second part of the game, which is an auction. And so you're deciding on every card. So you pick one up and you're like, oh, I'm going to let that get, you know, go to the other players. And then you do that. And eventually you're like, maybe you didn't pick one for yourself and you're like, I think I'm going to let this one slide. And then the next one you get maybe is not as good as some of them that you just gave away. So you do that until all the cards are gone. And then everybody has a hand of cards in which they are using to acquire the cards that were left over from the round in sort of an auction mechanic using gold to acquire cards. The trick of it is that there are five different kinds of suits And each one of those suits has a die attached to it. The only point of the die is a point marker, is how many points whoever has the majority of those cards, those types of cards, is going to get. You know, so it's, you're going to get a game where it's going to
1: be four to three to six, might be the. the And in our game, I think one of our games, it was seven, five, four. I mean, it was so close. Yeah, because you're only competing over those. And but what's interesting
0: is you don't know when people are um, getting out of a a particular suit, and they're so you are maybe competing against yourself, and you don't even know it, or those type of things. But there are a couple of cards that allow you to manipulate how much those uh, sets of cards are going to be worth. So that's where the that's the main area of where the kind of take that is, but. Again, that's only... To me, it only comes up where you know for sure somebody has been taking
1: a lot of a particular card. Sure. Um, I I liked it. I I really liked it. It's one that I would eventually like to add to my collection. Uh, The designer, Stephen Finn, do I have the right name? Steve Finn? Yes, yes. Also did Whatnot Cabinet, is one of the designers on that. And it was interesting because here are two games that are about 15 years apart. They're 13, 14 years apart, but they had a similar designer feeling it was one of those where I'm playing Biblios it's like I have the feeling of a game that I've recently played this feels like and then looked it up on BGG this does feel like whatnot Yeah. so you could see some of those design elements and design essentials of the placing of pieces and and wanting to do more but not able to do more crunchy decisions and I think that's kind of a hallmark of his because
0: I've played some of his other ones like Herbaceous and Sunset Over Water I believe is his And they all kind of have that little feel of subtle tension and that that tension. I want to do more. Yeah. Yeah. You know, hopefully I've done enough, so. Yeah, good. All right. Well, I think that's. Let's kind of move on. I think I we've think got we enough there. I uh, just want to remind everyone to spread the word about us if you haven't already. Uh, let anybody you know that you think would like our podcast, tell them about it. Send us a... Uh, uh, review on any of the... Sales pitch, sales pitch, sales pitch. Yeah, let's get it in. <laughs>
1: promote, promote, uh, promote.
0: Yeah, any, any place that you listen to your podcasts, leave a review for us if you're enjoying what we're doing. Uh, lastly, contact us if you have any questions or comments. Email at gameschooler.com is the email address. Uh, also on our website, there's a contact form that you can fill out, uh, and we do get a lot of, of feedback through that as well. Uh, and we appreciate that. Yes. So continue to reach out and um, let's build this game schooling community together. Uh, But without further ado, let's move on to the recommended game of the week.
1: The recommended game of the week. Recommended Game of the Week is a family-friendly game we think you should add to your collection, and it passes our stringent criteria for quality and content. This week's game is Honeybuzz by Elf Creek Games. Doug, give us the stats. All
0: right. Published in 2020, the designer is Paul Solomon. The art is by Anne Heidseich. One to four players, 45 to 90 minutes, ages 10 and up, which BoardGameGeek approves and agrees with. 2.75, 2.77 out of a five-point complexity scale, according to BoardGameGeek users. Uh, so it's a little bit on the heavier side of what we would normally recommend. Uh, HoneyBuzz is a worker pl- worker bee placement game where players expand a personal beehive by drafting various honeycomb tiles that grant actions that trigger throughout the game. Each tile represents a different action. Whenever a tile is laid so that a complete to, it completes a certain pattern, a ring of actions is triggered in whatever order the player chooses. A tile drafted on turn one could be triggered up to three times at any point during the game. It all depends on how the player places their beeples, which are bee meeples, and builds their hive. After all, the honey business efficiency is queen. As you continually expand your hive, you'll forage for nectar and pollen, make honey, mm, sell different varieties delicious. at the bear market, host honey tastings, and attend to the queen at her court. There's only so much nectar to Sounds go around, like and finding it won't be easy. Players have to scout out the nectar field, pay attention to other players' searches, to try to deduce the location of the nectar they need for themselves. This is a, that's a mouthful. Uh, There's a lot going on in that copy by Elf Creek (laughs) Yeah, Last week we had a a model of exemplary copy This one, there's a lot of game in this box So on your turn, what you're going to do Let me see if I can synthesize it a little bit Yeah, On your your turn, you have beoples These little wooden B-shaped characters That you're going to put into various action spaces That allow you to take a tile
1: And you have potentially several of them
0: Yes. And as somebody takes a a tile from a location, the uh, requirement for you to take a tile from that place increases. You have to put more bees there than the person previously. So there's this little kind of game that's going on just in that section of the game where, okay, I want to take that tile, but I can't because Michael has two bees there. It's going to require me three bees and I only have two. So I need to take a different spot. You're acquiring these tiles and they are two hexagon tiles fused together that you are going to be placing into your personal board to make little honeycombs. And once you encase a, uh, a circle, they're, uh, not a circle, but an empty hex, you create an empty hex. Every hex around that hex is going to fire off if it's got an action symbol on it. So you're trying to fill in these little, uh, spaces for nectar to go. Uh, what are the different actions you can do? One of them allows you to get more money, which are victory points at the end of the game. One allows you to create more beeples and you can hatch more beeples. One allows I'm
1: just going to call them bees. Okay. <laughs> I, I sure. Get- uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, well, beeples. I mean, do you think that's great audio? I mean, they're a little wooden bees, but okay. You want to be technical? Beeples? I'm just using the copy that was provided to me. <laughs> Go ahead. So
0: with your beeples. <laughs> yes. So you can get money. You can get new bees. You Beeples. Beeples, yeah. Um, you can, Stop throwing me off track. You can get money. You can get new bees. You can get... Um, You can forage, which allows you to fill those open spaces with nectar. And that's another bee that you have that flies around and you're trying to match up shapes. Uh, You can also sell to the market. And there is also, uh, which is two different areas, there are different uh, requirement cards that have certain um,
1: exchanges almost.
0: Yeah. They may may want uh, two of the yellow nectar or yellow honey. So you're you're making different types of honey. So they're basically order fulfillment. You're saying, I'm going to give you these two yellow. I'm going to get seven points. The other thing you can do is you can sell at the market, which each type of honey has a specific value. Once you sell at that rate, the value goes down a little bit more um, until the end game is triggered by either no more order fulfillments left or any or if too many of the the honey drops in value. Um, the last part is there are a couple of end game scoring things that are working on the first to get to a certain point and or uh, like I said end game scoring. So there's a lot going on. I know that's not a great description, and um, you know hopefully you get a gist of the idea. But it is one of the things that I really enjoy about this game, which is it has a combination of mechanisms that all seem to work together well with tile placement, there's engine building, there's set collection, there's worker placement, all kind of going
1: into this game feeding all of the different components on it. And gorgeous production. Yes. To, To me, this, I think, you know, sometimes when we describe a game, there's back and forth and we just talk about how it works. There is a lot of game in this box, probably as much game as, I don't know, I think we have to go all the way back to episode 36 when we reviewed Wingspan. Uh, Honey Honey Buzz is not a kid's game. It is a game gamers game it's a game schoolers gamers game if, if that makes sense to folks but the mechanisms that are in here are still very simple and very straightforward and once you figure out kind of the turn structure and the round structure the game has a really nice flow to it uh, you're basically just setting your beeples, your wooden bees out until you can 't set them out anymore, and then that triggers the next phase of well and of then your you turn. can call you call, call them all back, back which yeah. is when you get
0: those those new bees that you created um with the baby ones, you get those workers back when you recall everybody, and which is interesting because when you recall them, then that opens up spaces for your opponents to now get tiles for cheaper than maybe they were just a second ago. So there's a little bit of strategy of when do I pull back? Um, I do want to bring up what you just said and kind of reiterate that is when we talk about this is it's not for kids and this is not a game that's going to work in a K-12 setting. This is not something that you're going to play in the classroom. Um, Library after
1: school program. Yeah. To me,
0: this is for gaming families. This is at homeschool. This is that game schooling when you're having family game night, um, not we're just going to throw this on the table and hope it works out. You need to have set time. People that are familiar with gaming. Yeah, um, but it's not overly complicated. That I think you know, some games we disqualify because they get too complicated for the the audience or for that game well, schooling thing.
1: If we have an audience out there that has a library of games. If yep. Wingspan and Creature Comforts and Fossilist, you know, I'm trying to think of some of those other games that we've recommended in the past uh, are in your library. Honeybuzz is a great addition yep. because of what we're about to dive into with the skills. This game is loaded and layered with skills. There's yeah. a lot going on. The only thing that I also want to put out on the table, the 45 to 90 minutes, I haven't played this game with my family. My family's not quite there yet for Honey Buzz, yeah. but I would anticipate in a family setting, it would push more towards that hour to hour and a half range. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yep. Uh, we played it with, with gamers and I think we were able to fly through it fairly quickly. Uh, but I, I do think it's probably towards that 90 minute end if you're playing it in a family. Setting. Yeah. And the, and like Michael said,
0: the components of this one are awesome. Even on, there's a regular version and a deluxe version that you can get. And the regular version is awesome. The, the little honey tokens that you get are a little, almost like gummies you you almost want to eat them yeah that's how how good they look
1: Um, i wouldn't suggest it though doug no i tried it was terrible i had a real choking fit and elf creek that's sarcasm folks he didn't that's not actual (laughs) uh elf creek games has done some some beautiful productions of late uh i want to say atlantis Atlantis rising rising yeah the second edition that was a, a game that we played and and ran through our criteria a little while back that it just has some wonderful pieces in it as well. Yeah.
0: I mean, to go along on my list of things that I like, I love the artwork. I love that the theme is different. It's not something you're seeing all the time uh, out there. So I love that. I love connecting the pieces together, creating that your own little hive. And there's that it's almost this own separate little game of, of where you're going to put those tiles to build your hive because Not only do you want to close in spaces to to get areas for nectar and exactly how you manipulate the tiles determine which type of nectar can go in there. But there's also making sure you've spread out those action parts of the tile to make sure you can activate those. Yeah. So I love that. I think it's well balanced and I think the thing that I like about it, which we just talked about a little bit with Biblios, is there are a lot of options, but there's a lot of tense interaction in this game. A game made for muttering,
1: as I like to say.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's that it's that thing where there's just enough time before your turn comes around to kinda survey the field, see what's coming up and and strategize, plan a little bit, but you gotta be on your toes. Um but there are those elements of, oh, I hope he doesn't take that yep. one. I want it. I'm want i working towards this. Is he going to get there first? Am I going to do that first? Don't fulfill that order. I'm working up to do that. And just kind of hoping and praying while you're playing. I love that tension in games
1: yeah. underneath it. Well, as the puzzle comes together, I was looking to see if the pieces had a technical name, um, because it, this is a game that is difficult to describe on a podcast, folks. It has the, the double he- hexagonals that are kind of joined together. Yeah, yeah. Right? There are two hexes connected on one of their sides. And so the actual puzzle building feature of the game and trying to get everything to fit together... At least when we played, there was a whole lot of self-talk going on. And, that's and, just Michael and, in every game. Well, this was you though <laughs> too, Doug. There was some <laughs> going on at the table. Um but it, it's a fun game to play. I yeah. think that's that's what I wanted to say. You know, we talk games and game schooling and skills this has a fun factor to it. It wasn't you and I were high-fiving because it's a competitive game, Yeah, but there is that fun aspect of building the, the little hive and how it yeah. changes in shapes. We also did quite a bit of Command-Z in this game openly. Oh, actually, I think I want to... I know I just did this last turn, but guys, it's okay if I just <laughs> turn it because then I'll be able to place this yeah. tile and... That I think is important. If you are in a game school setting where people are hyper competitive, this might not be the best title for you, but if you are in a game school or setting where it's all about building skills and we're getting better, we're having fun and we're okay to change things here and there, this would be a a good fit for you.
0: When I think there's an interesting thing when we review games and play games, there's a difference to me between the table is silent because we're all playing our own game and there's a difference in that between what I think Honey Buzz has where there is a lot of silence and focus and competition, but there is a lot of stuff that's dependent on what the other players, there is silent interaction going on throughout the entire game. So it's not that you're just in a vacuum playing your own game where you put your bees out defects where I can put my bees out. And so all of that type of stuff. So it's like, I still feel like I'm playing in a group yeah. as opposed to just, you know, playing in the
1: corner this game. Well, it's extremely visual. So yes. if you're collecting nectar, I could see, ooh, Doug is about to go to the bear market to yeah. buy that card. So if I want to buy that card, I better beat him to the bear market. Otherwise, knowing that he's going to buy that card, maybe something else is going to yeah. come up. Because there's not a limit on the amount of nectar and resources you can collect, right? You can let that stock pile up, correct? Yeah, except there is this moment of the fact that you can um,
0: resolve your actions in any order, determines sometimes where you are spending stuff early based on an action to clear out those spaces so you can get more honey. Yeah. Um, because once you create honey, they just sit on sit your board on until yeah. you spend it. And so, and, and when we're talking about you have honey spaces, you may have five or six throughout the game. And when you're activating one, you're only activating maybe one or two at a time. Because, yes. Because of the way that the board branches out. So there are a lot of skills in this game. Uh, Michael brought six to the table. There's certainly a bunch that, that get, could have been left on the sideline.
1: Well, and feel free to, to hammer away on mine. This was just, there was a lot. Yeah. This episode took quite a bit of preparation just to try to trim down. Right? Yeah. There's so many different ways I think we could go. And took a lot of preparation of for a horrible description of the game oh, <laughs> on my part. No, <laughs> no. It, it, this is a tough game to describe. There's a lot yes, of moving yes. parts in Honey Buzz. All right. So what do you got for my, skills? My first skill is, um, I, I see yours listed first, so I'm going oh. to see what you, uh, you yes. march out here.
0: Okay. So I've got uh, decision-making Uh, I should learn how to read our run sheet. So decision-making is a core skill that is a game that allows players to make decisions based on currently or previously available information. Every turn there, you know, we talk about decision-making is in every game, but this has several, you have so many options during your turn that where you're going and whether you're going to, you have the decision of, do I want to pull my bees back or do I want to put them out and, and get a tile. And if I am getting a tile, where am I going to put that tile? And when I get the tile, I'm going to trigger all these actions. Which actions do I want and which order do I want to put them in? So you can see how there is you a lot, in your head, right? lot of decisions to be making, which I think leads into Michael's
1: core, one of his core skills. Which is processing information, and that's a game in which players must examine or analyze information. The I talk about this quite a bit on our podcast, if this, then that. Um, Skill set or decision that comes into the process of gaming with a production in the marketplace, there is a lot to balance. Uh, especially what Doug talked about a little bit earlier, how the resources just sit. When do I go collect those resources to try to get over to the bear market so that I can then try to get more resources? It's that whole shopping aspect.
0: Yeah, and that was one of the things that I I didn't put on the list, neither of us did, which was logistics, which I thought there's a flow of production in this game that you've got to manage, and that didn't even make the list. Uh, The next one that we both have is uh, Spatial Perception, a game that strengthens a player's understanding of spatial relationships with the objects in their environment and themselves. And so not only do you have the tile placement aspect of it, which is trying to make that center space have certain borders that determine which honey can go there, uh, you're also figuring out where you need to place those actions so that when you fill in another space, or create another open space that you're getting multiple uses out of your actions and you're not uh, loaded up on one, you know, if that makes sense, because if you, depending on how you fill in that circle or that, that open space, if, if all of them are get more beples, yeah, it's not great. No, you know, you want to have a kind of a mixture of everything. So you're
1: trying to balance that while you're well, placing it the out. the word that I was going to go with is balance because yeah. your board can quickly go from being a nice little tidy tableau to a bloated, hot mess of a disaster zone. And being able to, to balance that, I think this is something that would definitely get better in repeated plays. Sure. Uh, especially if you're playing with some of those younger teenage, tween age gamers, the more that they play this, the better they'll get. I would make the comparison to like a Quacks of Quedlinburg, where you are going into the bag and and eventually you can bust and your turn is kind of over. There's a similar thing that happens with this on a spatial perception of how many how valuable is that tile for me right now? Do I spend the three B's, but then I'm out of beeples to get that one tile? Or do I just hold and wait for it? So there's a it, it's a different type of spatial perception because you are actually building the board. You're yeah. not moving around on a map. Your You're player not board route yeah. building. You are building your own player board that is unique to you. Yes. So the spatial perception of this, I actually get excited when thinking about it because it, can you imagine being in a classroom or being in a library and having five or six copies of this game going and seeing all the different <laughs> boards that are happening. Uh, this would be a, a really cool one to have out and a lot of games going at the same time. Yeah, next one
0: is a shared one as well, Michael. Give sure, you the Resource
1: lead Management on. is a game that boosts a player's capacity to efficiently and effectively oversee available assets. I struggle with that in this game. I could do one, but not both. Uh, there, mm-hmm. There's just a lot happening. Yeah, and
0: just... You're trying to balance your resource of of the bees and beeples that you have, you know, and how you spend them efficiently. It's how you use the tiles that you get. And then once you start collecting pollen and honey, where do you spend it to get the most value and when? You know, so that's a a huge part of the game. Next one is also a shared skill that we both had. Oh, you put this on there too, huh? Yeah, which is goals, a game in which players have clearly defined victory conditions that they must work towards, i.e., winning the game. And this one is there's three or four different areas that this pops up. There is. There's the area where your bee is flying around to get the the nectar to create the honey. And so there's a little bit of a race of which ones do I need? Which one am I close to? How can I get that? There's also the selling, that kind of race of like, I can sell this honey for that. I can get the goal of completing... Uh, this at the bear market, what they want there. And every time you sell to the bear market, you get an additional action depending on which bear market you sell to. Yeah. You know, so there's all these little goals that build up, not to mention that there are three goals at the start of the game for all the players to chase after. Uh, one of them is an in-game one and two of them are end-game. So you know, they're rewarding you for how many bear market orders you get or you know, how much pollen you have at the end of the game, all that type of stuff. So there are goals stretched out throughout this game.
1: Yeah, and I think, I I know what skill's coming next for you, and I know what skill's coming next for me, so I really see how the goals are kind of chained together with our future skills that we're going to talk about in the very near future. But the game is a series of short-term objectives that are just stacked upon themselves. Yeah. And, you know, that middle game, end of game... 'Cause you can actually see the points that people have. So the game also has a nice little race towards getting to that bear market as often as possible. But you can't go every turn because you have to have the resources so you have to make if, the honey every how, time. How do I make the honey and which honey and, and the combinations change? You can't just make the same same type of honey over and over. So um, it goes into
0: your next skill, dog. Yeah, next one I've got is competition, a game that develops healthy competitive habits as two or more parties compete for a goal or reward that isn't shared. And where this pops up, we've talked about it a lot. We talk, and it is certainly one of the things that I enjoy. So I know I've talked about it a ton, but is that that subtle tension of competition where you're racing towards something and you can see what your opponents are doing and you're trying to get there first and oh, shoot, they just put their bees on that action space that I wanted to take, and now I can't. Now I've got to pivot. So there is that subtle competition where nothing is that punch in the face, take that, I'm
1: going to do this to screw you up. I'm glad you went there. There is there is not a moment in the game, at least that I'm aware of from how we played yeah. it, where you could remove nectar from somebody. Yeah or where you are actually pushing somebody out of a space. You do that by taking resources that you have, the beeples, and placing them down. So the only way that you do that is by investing, and everyone gets to see that decision. Yeah. So the competitiveness, I think, is really healthy. It's not mean, it's just competitive.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's that thing where somebody got there first, somebody did that, or somebody took the tile you were going to take, but that doesn't mean that they were taking it specifically from you to hurt you. Yeah. You know, and I think that's a very strong thing where I think as a, as a business owner, I think about that is kind of what competition is like. It's somebody beat you to market first. Somebody had a lower price. Somebody is doing that. But it's like in most cases, you know, businesses are operating all over the, the country they're not doing it to put the other guy out of business they're just doing it to try and make their own business better or more successful and i think that's what shows up in this game and i think it's a very real world type of competition it doesn't always mean i need to destroy the other person to compete with them you, you just know? need
1: to be the best people the best exactly. people that you can people be people wrangler the best people that you can be on that given day, Doug. Good, that's awesome. And where you have goals and where you have competition, as we have been talking, you also have tactical thinking, a skill that comes up every single week on the Game Schooler podcast, more from Michael a game recently game than me. That challenges players to make decisions based on currently available and frequently changing information. I think that has to do with some of the games that we've been recommending recently. Last week's five minute mystery and this week's Honey Buzz. These are games where you really need to respond based on what's in front of you. You talked about the racing aspect, and I know that that happened in the game. I was the first player in the first game that we had played of this, and as soon as I put my B out, there was a little grimace from someone else at the table of, oh, you took it in. So that you really have to be quick on your toes. But there are multiple things that you can do, so it's not that you're ever – punished. I just yeah. feel like you have great choices to make and so you have to be quick on your toes to make the best choice.
0: Yeah, ultimately to me I think the, the key word for tactical thinking is always pivot, right? Can you pivot yeah. quickly? You know, your your first plan got blown up, now what are you
1: going to do? And I think this does a great job of that. And then the sixth skill, I had to bring, bring a bonus skill because if you are using Honey Buzz, I think you're going to encounter some level of resilience that's necessary to play this game. And that's a game that teaches players how to quickly recover from and cope with difficulties. The other reason why I put this on Uh, you know, we talked about the game not being for everybody, but if you have Wingspan in your collection and are comfortably playing it, this is a great addition to that type of household or library because the skill is in there. You will not be able to get that bear market, that card that you wanted from the bear market because somebody else beat you to it. But guess what? Is there a different card you can get? Because if you were saving up to get a card, the odds are that you have some combination of honey. So that that tactical and resilience kind of work together in this game in a way that I thought was really, really good. Yeah, well, and sometimes that that somebody took
0: the card you wanted from the bear market and the the next one that gets flipped over is one you could use or different,
1: you know, so there are other options. I think that's a great but how those two skills worked, to me, that really put this game Into our recommendable category. Yeah. You know, I really think those two skills are developed in a a unique way with this one.
0: All right. So those are our skills for this one. Uh, Just a phenomenal game. And we hope you try it out if it sounds interesting to you or it will work in those settings that we've described uh, here earlier in the segment. But that is Honey Buzz by Elf Creek Games and designer Paul Solomon.
1: The School of Gaming. In the School of Gaming, we discuss concepts, keywords, etiquette, and helpful ideas in the world of gaming and education. This week, we'll be discussing Board Game Cafes, Driving Game Schooling.
0: Yeah, so this seems like an oddly specific segment. Very specific. Where (laughs) Um, did it come from? We got a question um, from Steve Green, and I'm going to read that email. uh, His question is, this is Steve Green from Asheville, North Carolina. Hope you are well. My wife, Catherine, and I are big fans of your podcast. Thank you. We homeschool one of our daughters, and we also happen to own a board game cafe. We thought of a future topic of interest could be how a local board game cafe could help facilitate homeschool game school efforts. We would love to know what areas of board game cafe could, how, in what areas a board game cafe could help local groups. We're thinking of providing a weekly space free of charge, as well as developing programming that could guide groups towards games that promote STEM, etc. Thanks for the topic consideration. Uh, so, thank you, Steve. Yes, thank you. The first thing that came to my mind, and I kind of went down a little rabbit hole here, Michael. Stop me if you want. Um, but was the idea of what do game schoolers need, right? If you're talking about filling a need or helping a group of homeschoolers and game schoolers, what do they need? And so I came up with this little list here, which is, A, you need a place to play games, which is perfect for a board game cafe. The other part that you need, game schooling groups, is access to games. You know, we talk about having a personal library or you know, uh, getting friends together, that type of thing, a board game cafe already has games. And so you get that access to that library. The other thing that game schoolers need is access to teachers that know how to play the game. Most board game cafes, the staff is trained in a lot of the games to help people play and learn how to play the games that are in the cafe. Um, you know, and, once you get students who know how to play the games and you can go to a, a, a cafe like that and you're playing, we don't talk about this enough, but when we talk about skill building in games, that really occurs on the second playthrough, Yeah. right? Rarely does it happen on the first time through. You're going to see those skills develop of repeated plays of the same game when they know how to play it. The
1: excitement, it. the engagement, the enthusiasm, that comes with the initial play, But the actual building of those skills, that comes over time. Yeah. Uh, The next thing is that they need recommendations.
0: What game do I play next? You know, we like this. What's the next step? Is there a game that we can do that has this subject matter? You're going to get that at a game cafe, you know, board game cafe. So I like that. And the last thing, and one of the things I think is most important, and this really implies to homeschoolers, is you need players yeah, you know, and a lot of people are homeschooling. Maybe they've got one or two kids at home. Maybe those kids are not the same age as one another, so they're at different levels of games. Board game cafes can provide more players and people to play with, and so I don't know if that necessarily answers the question of uh, what specifically outside of the idea, you know, to to Steve is that. What you're doing and what you're providing is already checking so many boxes for game schoolers that the idea of promoting that and anything you can do to help that, there are so many things already ingrained.
1: Yeah, I think within that question, there are two major parts of the answer, and you touched on as well, the space, having the space, the guidance, right? When you're talking about, Doug, when you're talking about the recommendations and people being able to teach games... Mm -hmm. Those are critical components of the answer. The other one that I would add and try to contribute is consistency. Having consistent events because families are units that thrive on a calendar, right? Yeah. So knowing that... Whether your events are annual, quarterly, monthly, weekly, daily, but having something consistent so that families, once they trust you and know who you are, can just drop off part of their family unit yeah. for that event, I think that is critical. And I've lived in several different small towns. I've lived in some larger cities as well. And I think you know what? I, 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 now I want to go to Asheville. It's on my yeah. list. Let's yeah. go check it out. But having those consistent hours, that's something that we hear from from our, our friendly local game stores and game stores that we know just – when families know when you're open. Um, but from a coffee shop standpoint too, a board game cafe, uh, I, I think that needs to get in into the answer as well so that yeah. people can really – program that into their calendar on their phone and they know that, okay, our kids are going to play board games, you know, one day a week, two days a month, whatever it is. Yeah. I think that consistency part is huge. And I think it's not only applies to
0: the actual time of the event, but consistency of awareness and letting people know. I mean, I've been on several different types of councils and, and things like that and boards and the number one thing that i feel like people don't understand or realize is, is like you can't just make one announcement one time and nope. hope that it's going to click. You got a blast. It it, it needs to get to a point where it's almost comical that's like of course everybody knows that that the game schooling night is next thursday. It's every and, thursday. Yeah. You know, that type of thing. So And that applies to, I think, anybody that's doing a game schooling group, whether you're a cafe, a local game store that wants to have game schooling events. It's like, you need to promote it and just saying it one time to a couple people and then nobody shows up and then having poo-poo face that just didn't work out. I think the consistency of schedule
1: and awareness are hugely critical in that. Yep, And I'm really glad you brought up the teaching games, Doug, because- the, the last piece that, that I have for you is just the culture matters. So if you are, well, I, I don't know your game cafe, but I would imagine you're always trying to get new people, people who have that new gamer enthusiasm into your place and get them hooked, right? So you want to make sure that you are open for those brand new gamers. And so having those titles readily available out and open some of those evergreen titles that we've talked about I think that matters where somebody can go in, sit down, and play in Azul. And so I how do you get people to that point and also have your very, very um, regular people yeah. there? I, I think there's there's some follow up questions that I would have for you. Well, and I wouldn't be
0: opposed to 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 reaching out to, to local schools, you know, in that promotion of hey, we're providing this space and letting them know uh, and you'd be surprised how many of them are looking for stuff to just put in their their weekly newsletters to put out and make uh, you know other options available for their students. Yeah. So I think that's another option. And I looked at the website uh, for the store It looks amazing. It does, doesn't it? Yeah, I can't wait to go. How far is
1: it from here? It, it, it's a several hundred a little, miles, uh, I'm it, sure. <laughs> it clocked it at about 11 hours. Is that something? Oh, that's right? not bad. Yeah, we can get there.
0: Yeah, that's a God, I can forgo sleep. Doug knows I'm
1: half serious. That's a weekend. That's a weekend <laughs> Doug trip. Knows I'm half serious. I can, we can leave Throw on two Wednesday. Of our kids in the back, and we can leave on Wednesday, be Friday back by after Friday. Work, be back for church on Sunday. All right.
0: So that is a school of gaming, and and hopefully that helps out Steve and and gives other listeners an idea of seeking out board game cafes in your local area that may be a good fit to partner up with your after school club or or, or you know or just getting a group of homeschoolers together, together and having that space that doesn't necessarily need to be in somebody's house.
1: So. And, and Steve, if we did not answer your question, please do reach out to us at our email. You have our email now, email at gameschooler.com. And we can get, you, we can get into the weeds on titles and other specifics as well.
0: All right. So let's move on to the high five If you're anything like us, you're constantly on the hunt for new games to try out. And this week, we reveal our personal high five list of family-friendly anticipated games from Gen Con in the year
1: 2022. Well, how was this list for you to make? 2022. <laughs> well, Doug, I wanted it to be 10. And when we had a little bit of, of banter back and forth. And when we settled on it being five, then I was committed to having zero crossover The list was a lot of fun to put together. There's just so many good games coming out that really hit our niche, that are family-friendly and ready for the game schooling setting. Number five for me, it's already up on our screen, and that is... Oh, no! um, It is Evergreen. And Evergreen is a title from uh, Halmer Hawk and Horrible Games. And so in Evergreen you know the uh, you are trying to build out your best biome so i'm just gonna pull up the uh, there we go so uh one to four players 45 minutes ages eight plus your goal is to build a lush ecosystem by planting seeds growing trees and placing other natural elements on your planet you're trying to make it the greatest and most fertile of all and the BGG copy there. And let Mm -hmm. me tell you why I'm excited to play this game because it involves card drafting and forest building where the cards are not, the cards that you don't select, they're actually planted Uh, By players and that drives up the value of that biome in the end of the game. So I'm excited to play this game to see what that decision making looks like of okay I understand that I'm planting these but by not planting those that then drives up the value for others. So that's one that's on my list. I love Horrible Guild. I love what they're doing. I did reach out and request a review copy so we'll (laughs) see what comes in the door here Doug.
0: Yeah well it was interesting on this list because there was I used and I'm sure you did too is Borg game geek every year has or pretty much every convention has a gigantic list of titles that are submitted by publishers and sometimes they're they're new games coming out sometimes they're games that they're just demoing at the convention sometimes it's games that were released three years ago that are finally getting released in the in the u.s so it's their first time at a convention yeah. that type of thing so you gotta kind of go through the weeds to try and figure these out and some of them there's a, I think probably five games that were going to be for sale for the game or at the convention or, or released very soon. But the information on the game was so scarce that I had no idea what it was, it, yeah. what it was about. It was like, I liked the cover. I liked the designer. I may have liked the publisher Looks like it's good. You're going on a three sentence description of what the game and is like. I can't put this on the list. So it was kind of interesting. There's, like I said, four or five of them. I'm like, that game looks
1: really interesting. Yeah.
0: But I'm not exactly sure what it's about. Well,
1: it sent me down the rabbit hole on a few of them, searching and looking at the two minute marketing video and then getting out and doing a little translate from German (laughs) to find out, okay, is this a game that I'm excited to play and want to review? So,
0: yeah, my number five, though, is Paint the Roses. Uh, This was a game that was kickstarted. It was uh, 2022 as a release, North Star Games. Ben Goldman is a designer, two to five players. Uh, 50 to 70 minutes and a 2.47 on the board game geek weight. And this is, uh, inadvertently, I have a deduction theme going throughout yeah. my, my games here. And I don't know why that is, but the thing that Do you want me to try to deduce that or make yes. an inference. <laughs> yeah. yeah <laughs> yes, please. Analyze. Let me lay it down on this couch. I'll tell you more of my problems. Um, Paint the Roses is a cooperative deduction game in which you are playing tiles down and then uh, the person that is putting the tile down is going to put cubes on adjacent tiles to basically say how much information uh, is matching on those tiles. And you're trying to guess what the rule is that the person has. Mm -hmm. And by correctly guessing those rules, you move forward And when you are wrong, the queen catches up to you. It has an Alice in Wonderland theme to it. Um, And so I was intrigued by the Kickstarter when I saw it. We saw it at ACD Games Day, so I was excited about that.
1: So that's why that one made the list for me. So I go from planting an evergreen to planting with wizards. After I just talked about a garden also. Yeah, my number four (laughs) is Power Plants. And this is a 2022 release, Kids Table Board Gaming, Adam E. Dalton, 30 minutes, ages eight plus, BGG says 12 plus. So, for those who closely keep score at home, you'll recall we had the same thing when we reviewed and recommended Creature Comforts, where the company said that it was at a, actually at a lower age than what the board gaming community said. So, anywho, I digress. Two point six seven out of five, and is a complexity. And in Power Plants, you are growing a magical garden full of unique and powerful plants. You are a wizard, you're growing a magical garden, A little bit of tile placement plus area majority with kids table board gaming equals a game I want to play. There's just a, a lot going on and this is a company that has really hit the mark for us here at the Game Schooler podcast of late. We're talking about fossilists, rec raiders, creature comforts, and I, I, I'm looking forward to playing and reviewing power plants as well.
0: Yeah, this would have made my list except I backed it on Kickstarter, so... I felt like it kind of disqualified me because I've been anticipating it for a long time.
1: Oh, so you didn't put anything on your list that you knew was coming or arriving or... Well, I just, I felt
0: like I've already anticipated this several months ago. So it was not something that like, I really want to get my, I mean, I do want to get my hands on it, but... cool. That's why I didn't make my list, but I'm also looking forward to that one. Uh, My next game is Planet Unknown, my number four, uh, published by Adam's Apple Games, the designer Ryan Lambert and Adam Rayberg. One to six players, 60 to 80 minutes, 2.28, and this is a uh, polyomino tile placement game in which you are kind of drafting from a lazy susan that's on the board and then putting it on your your planet and where you place it and what's on those tiles is giving you bonuses that you're moving up various tracks uh, just seems like it's got a couple of those three or four mechanisms all working together well a lot in of tandem hype around this one Uh, The good thing we know is one of our friends has this game, so we will get to play it before. I think it was a Kickstarter, which he backed, but I did not. So that is my number four, Planet Unknown.
1: Number three for me is Keepers. And Keepers is a 2022 release. This is from Van Ryder Games, and the designer is AJ Poor porfirio i thought there was a t in there there's not though aj porfirio first van Ryder games it's come across my list a lot of times their games are, are a little bit more i don't want to say mature but they don't hit the game schooler wheelhouse three to eight players listen to this though this is where i'm excited 15 to 30 minutes ages eight plus and then keepers players take a turn as a curator choosing one can't be a noun word to describe a card in their hand and announcing it all players including the curator then play a card that they think aligns the most or the least with that word. Uh, and, and so it, it's a little bit of a word selection game that I, I'm i just excited. I'm intrigued by it. I'm yeah. excited to play. There's enough similarities to other games that are in my family collection, like Just One or other games that we have uh, reviewed and played lately, but there's there's some nuances to this that really have me intrigued. The other thing that I like about it, 15 to 30 minutes Three-player minimum, eight-player max. So when I hear that, I think if I have three copies, I could play it with an entire classroom in, in a class period or even in an indoor recess. Yeah. So it's a game that I'm I'm looking forward to playing but certainly really looking forward to reviewing and running through our strengths. Well, and picture, it's, it yeah. seems
0: like a game that would fit in your family's wheelhouse. Yeah, is, my
1: family's wheelhouse, and in a classroom. Yeah, so that's where it, it hits both of those. I can justify the purchase for my family <laughs> and for the company. All right, perfect. My number
0: three is an an odd one for me. Is a game called Turing Machine I saw from two thousand twenty two. Les Scorpion Masque is the publisher, and Fabian Gridel and Johan Lavet are the designers. One to four players, twenty minutes, and this is based on Alan Turing's uh, code breaking. Machine yeah. and the way that the game works is there are three different colored uh, sections of your machine, and those three sections can have a number, I believe, one to five. And you are, but you don't know which ones they are. And there are f- three or four different kind of machines that you can use. So you 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 basically make your code and say I want it to be two three two, and then I stack those cards together. And then I run it off of these different machines. And it's either going and the machine may be that the the number in the first spot is lower or you know it's a it's relationship to one. You know, so if you put that in there and it says, okay, it's a, a miss, it's going to say, well, then it's higher than one. And so you got a little bit of information. I know that the first one is is higher than one and or not equal to that type of thing. Or the uh, the numbers between the two may be ascending, and so you're yeah. putting them in, and it's these cards that have these cutout I, I holes in them. I saw at ACD. And, yeah, it's, and you it's s- cool. you stack them, and then what uh, shows through on there? It's either going to be a, a positive or a negative that's telling you your hypothesis is is right or yep. wrong, and no so or, yep, yep. So just very interesting thing, and I, I love the idea of a of a cooperative racing deduction game that wasn't in the theme of Sherlock Holmes or who's the first one, who did it, you know? So it's that number-breaking code creating a puzzle. But I think that there is a – that interaction is there because you – are racing with other people. Yeah. yeah. So, very interesting. Well, You'll have to get that game, Doug. <laughs> yeah. See, <laughs> notice what I can how do. we're
1: both encouraging each other to <laughs> buy these games on the list. Yeah. And along that theme, my number two, am I all right to jump ahead here? Yes. My number two is Dice Hospital ER Emergency Role. And it's a 2022 release, Alley Cat Games, Matthew Dunstan and Brett J. Gilbert. I really like a lot of the Dunstan and Gilbert games, one to six players, which I like to hear because listen to this next part, 20 to 30 minutes. So it's a game that I could play solo, a game that I could play with one of my kiddos after the dishes are done, ages 10 plus, Board Game Geek says eight plus, 1.8 out of five. So I feel very confident that I will be able to teach it even to my wife. Uh, and you're flipping and rolling and riding your way to treat as many patients as possible. That's the copy from Board Game Geek. I like Dice Hospital, the original base game. Uh, I get the designer's name mixed up, Stan Kardonsky or Stan something. I'll correct it because I have it my laptop open. But um, I, I own the initial Dice Hospital game, and this is based off of that. Different designers um so similar theme different same same theme. universe yeah same universe and they also have a theme park a, a a dice theme park game that i'm i'm just a little worried doug because if they keep making games i'll keep buying these and keep adding them into my house and i'll have a whole calyx full of them but anyways i'm excited to try this one out and play it and i think my uh i, I have at least two of my kiddos are going to like to play it as well
0: yeah, that's, it's interesting because I, when I saw it on your list, I probably scooted right by it because I'm not a huge fan of the original game. Right. And so I just kind of assumed it was an expansion and no big deal. But then once I saw it on your list and I looked at it, I'm intrigued by it. And I certainly like um, yeah. Matthew Dunstan and, and Brett. J. gilbert do well, good stuff so i'm
1: i'm intrigued by it and it being a flip and right you know i have a daughter margaret who really loves welcome to and, and josie who loves the initial dice hospital so that's where i think there's a tie-in to, to get multiple uses out of it stan Kardonsky and mike nudd were the initial de- the designers of dice hospital
0: all right, my next one we've talked about in the past uh, is Acropolis, and that release date got pushed back a little bit, so that's why it's now still on this list is 2022 Hachette Board Games. great game. The designer, Jules Massad, two to four players, 20 to 30 minutes, 1.67, uh, and it's a game in which you've got... Uh, tiles that are a grid of, of three hexes that are kind of chunked together and you're laying them on top of each other. It's a city building game, trying to make connections, the higher you can go, the better, uh, special powers. It just, it's one of those games that when you saw it, you could tell it was, it reminded me of that, like Azul category where it was approachable, yep. simple, clean, great artwork, so that is why it is
1: my number two, Acropolis. I have no doubt that that game, that's going to be a recommendable game of the week at some point. Don't, You'll don't hear it fake. first, yes. Yes, yes. All right. And my number one is Explorers. Phil Walker-Harding, one to four players, 20 minutes, 1.88 out of five, ages eight plus. And uh, Ravensburger is publishing it. Phil Walker-Harding has designed it. there's so many different things that I could say about this other than I have an entire shelf of Phil Walker Harding games. And so when he makes a game, I really uh, do try to play all of them at this point. And it's tough to keep up with a master designer like that. Uh, But you are starting a a village and exploring and scoring out based on other bonuses. Um, So that's my number one game.
0: All right, yeah. and Gen Con Preview. And we both have Phil Walker-Harding games at the top of our list. My number one is Museum Suspects uh, 2022 by Blue Orange designer Phil Walker-Harding, two to four players and 20 to 25 minutes. This is a du- deduction game where you are trying to find a culprit, uh, just like I said in Turing Machine that it didn't have that theme, this has that theme. But what's interesting is that there may be no culprits yeah. or there may be multiple and you're putting tokens on the board that are giving you points for cr- guessing the correct one, and you're making uh, some clues, the clues are on the side of the board, and you just pick up a card. When you look at that, then you put you put one of your tokens on it that you've seen that clue, but the number on the token determines what level of token somebody needs to spend to go and see that clue after you. So you can make it really high if you don't want somebody to see it, which then maybe you're giving up points on the back end, or maybe you're bluffing and you put something really low. So somebody thinks it's a garbage clue, so I'm not going to go there. So I like that idea of a deduction game with bluffing involved in it. It Seemed very strange
1: to me. So I had this as my number two and Acropolis was my number one. When I went to load it in the run sheet, I saw how you had things ordered and I said, you know what? We're just going to, Add some new titles because there are so many yeah. good titles coming out. But tell me, this isn't another game that we can just see? Yeah, probably going to be recommended in the yep. next few years here on the Game Score Podcast. So I'm looking forward to playing that and talking about that one more too.
0: Yeah. So and any honorable? I mean, you have got <laughs> 40 <laughs> games here on your honorable Where mention to go? list. No, so.
1: I. You know, I think there are a few that I just want to quickly. No, no. I, no. Well, okay. There's two. I had a very hard time not putting this on the list, and that's the expansion to Picture Perfect, the Sherlock expansion. Hmm. We heard about that one. Yeah. Um, and I see other things are coming up on our screen, so I'll move on. But I really want to play that one. And then Wormholes is one that yep. we, we played, but I want to play again and play it by the rules. Yeah. But Wormholes is designed by Peter McPherson, McPherson, and and that's the same designer as Tiny Town. So I'm looking yep. forward to getting those two to the table as
0: well. All right. Those, yep, and those were on my short list as well. Um, just want to remind everybody to subscribe to the podcast. If you haven't already, like us on Facebook. Uh, boop. There's a little button for that and a reward myself for remembering to do that. And then uh, you can follow us on Twitter at GameSchoolerU. <laughs> Uh, follow us there and we have updates on all of our posts and things like that and lastly but not least, thank you so much for spending the last hour or so
1: with us we really appreciate it now get out there and keep game schooling